0: Hello, welcome to Riot Act, the Alternative Music Podcast. Welcome to the Rioters Review. Welcome to another day on our second birthday celebratory week. My name's Stephen Hill, and joining me, not only is he my co-host, but he is the artist in question that we're going to be talking about today. It's Mr. Renfrey Dedman. Renfrey, tell me some things uh, that you used to tell your guitar. How are you (laughs) doing?
1: I'm alright. I'm, um, I'm sort of looking forward to this and sort of not. I don't know, really. Um, well,
0: yeah, I'm good. Yes. Good. I'm glad to hear it. So, um, if you're listening to this on patreon.com forward slash right act podcast, we appreciate that. If you're listening to this way, way, way in the future, fucking hell, man. You're just, you're just the worst. Uh, you should have signed up. You should have got it during the week that we did it. I think I've already yeah. done this when we did our last Right Here's Review, which, you know, came out yesterday um if you're listening to them on time mm. uh and uh that was on my band steggle and um our only album uh anger rod i actually forgot to read out the um i brought the the special thing down i got this for christmas i brought the thing down not to go, keep going on but look Daz's bass player actually wrote a little message on the back ah, as well that's, that's quite nice sweet. but it, you know i blew it i didn't i didn't put that into the podcast too late i now. Can't, can't put it in now can i <laughs> um Pulling focus, I believe. That's what they call it, <laughs> isn't it? <In> Keith Johnston's <laughs> Impro book. Let's talk about um, my band a bit more. Yeah. yeah. So today we are going to be talking about Renfrey Deadman's debut EP, I Tell My Guitar The Things I Used To Tell You. Mm. Uh, straight away, Renfrey. Just going to put this on the table. That is a hell of a title. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: okay. Uh, yeah demand some the tom, explanation the tom
0: de long write that for you
1: no i'll tell you who did write it though frederick chopin aka mr ah. piano man that's what they call him billy joel no not, not Billy joel. no 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 it's billy joel it's a frederick chopin uh quote um it is it's actually mangled because uh uh well i'm going to read you the quote it said uh, it is dreadful when something weighs on your mind not to have a soul to unburden yourself to. You know what I mean? I tell my piano the things I used to tell you. So I just took ah. I took what he said and I changed it to guitar. Um, I mm-hmm. first read this quote in the 2007 Ruben album in Nothing We Trust. Right. That's where I saw the quote. And at that time, I was much more pretentious at this time um god how old would i have
0: been doesn't seem possible (laughs) oh
1: you think i'm pretentious (laughs) now i was so much more pretentious at the age of what 22 i think yeah Yeah. god i must have been 22 or something like that i don't know oh fuck no it's 10 years ago fuck i was 25 don't even have an Mm. excuse
0: um <laughs> i don't know 25 you're still an absolute prick when you're 25 are <laughs> yeah, aren't you, you, you might are. be a bit more of a prick because you think you've got to the age where you're not a prick anymore yeah, yeah. but you're still
1: a prick yeah 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 um, oh i know
0: stuff now i'm 25 <laughs> yeah
1: um but yeah i just i really really loved that quote and i knew full well even at the time i knew full well i was like god it sounds very very emo-y and the whole emo boon had just like exploded and and kind of disappeared at that point as well so there was a bit of a concern mm. at the times like is that going to be seen as a you know five years out of date um even if it does seem like it's uh it's is it the wrong kind of zeitgeisty because i don't think Well, I think lyrically it's very open. I mean, obviously we'll get onto that later, but I don't Mm -hmm. think it's emo. Um, No, uh, no.
0: Although actually it's surprisingly, um, when I think of stuff um, like (laughs) that, I guess had something to do with emo in the, in in its kind of initial form. So Mm. Chuck, Chuck Reagan, um, and, I mean, Frank Turner, obviously, is a mm, is a, mm. someone I'll mention Frank a Turner's lot. Frank Turner a c- massive one, yeah. City in Colour and Dallas Green and, mm. you know, that, that kind of stuff. There is plenty of, um, you know, Chris. I was going to say Chris Vrenna. then. He's from Nine Inch Nails. Who's the guy? Uh, Vinnie Karuna, sorry. Vinnie Karuna. Chris yes. fucking Vrenna. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Vinnie Karuna. That thing is still, it's, in it's It's just definitely linked to punk rock. I think folk music is quite linked to, po- to punk rock. And, you know, that relationship was definitely flourishing around 2010 so it kind of you know it makes sense why you would be at least thinking about emo well this was the not, band well this was well, whether of... or not that was the right thing to do or not i don't know but yeah. yeah
1: this was kind of the bandwagon that i was jumping on i mean i kind of i do blanch a little bit of the title now because i think it's one of those titles that once you understand i think it's kind of cool once you understand where it comes from uh you know oh it's a shopper quote and all that kind of thing and i did mm. like inside the cd and stuff i did actually uh use that quote so that it was clear to people who bought it that that's where it came from but i think mm. without that context it just sounds incredibly pretentious um and uh yeah emo as fuck but <laughs> hey what are you gonna do um yeah the frank turner i mean it's blindingly obvious the frank turner thing is a <laughs> well i i oh, i God decided Bang to do rights yeah, yeah i decided to do this project as a as a result of hearing the very first frank turner ep i feel like i've told you this story before though i'm not sure if it's yeah come out on a sort podcast of. before um so this whole project sort of started because I recently kind of rekindled a friendship with uh, my old guitarist, the guitarist from the band, which was never named, that wrote Black Rose, uh, my friend Jamie, <laughs> uh, which is just going to keep coming up over and over again for the rest of my life, I feel. And um, uh, we tried, uh, you know, I just stopped acting and realized that I didn't really want to act anymore and I was struggling with that um but i was trying to figure out what i wanted to do i was working at the bookshop on the london school of economics campus i was really fucking depressed doing that and rekindling a friendship with jamie because he just moved to london i think um and we were like let's start a band or i think i suggested let's start doing a band again because we always had a really good chemistry um and i think it's safe to say that i was far more into the idea than he was um And there was a few kind of times where he would turn up to rehearsal very, very, very late or he'd turn up and he'd had a few beers beforehand and it wasn't really, you know, we didn't really ever get around to even having a proper practice. And Mm. um, after this had happened sort of, I was quite cool about it the first three, four times, but I think like the fifth time it happened, I'd had a really shit day at work. I was really not enjoying anything. All I'd been looking forward to was like jamming with Jamie And as soon as I left work, I turned on my phone and he sent me a text saying that he couldn't do it. And I sent him an angry text back. I don't remember exactly what I said, but I was pissed off with him. And he said, uh, whatever I had said, I'm sure I provoked him. But whatever I had said, he said, well, why don't you go off and be a solo cunt then? With the exact words that he texted me. As I say, I'm sure I provoked him into doing that. So I was a bit like, oh, for fuck's sake, whatever. Get back to my flat in Wood Green at the time. I was living in Wood Green as well. Fucking hell, I mean, my life is oh, a fucking God. mess. Yeah, it was dreadful. Um, and I had just, you know, a few a week previously, maybe I'd ordered uh, the Frank T- the debut Frank Turner EP, Campfire Punk Rock, uh, because uh, he used to be a Million Dead, and I loved Million Dead, and I was curious about this folky project that he was doing i was more kind of morbidly curious about it because i think at that time no one thought that frank turner was going to be a big deal or anything like that you know um it was it was it was a hardcore singer i think people just thought he had ideas above his station you know i think i found it online for three or four quid and i was like fine fuck it i'll order that i put it on and that ep is 17 minutes long i think um and in that 17 minutes sort of the combination of looking at this text and hearing this ep which predominantly is frank on his own i think he's got dive dive as a i'm not sure if he had dive dive there's this oxford band called dive dive who used to be his backing band i'm not sure if they're on that ep or not but it was predominantly him and an acoustic guitar i just figured yeah i could do that and that was kind of the the start of this project so it was very much 100 percent full-on a frank turner ripoff and i even kind of modeled uh this ep around that early ep there's five tracks on this ep because there were five tracks on campfire punk rock and even has a similar it has a similar flow to that ep and everything so yeah
0: well Renfrew, before we get into the actual EP itself, I'm actually quite interested to know where your journey. Because you talked about being in a band before and it didn't have a name, and you wrote "Black Rose" and it's gone on to be one of the great lost songs. Um, <laughs> when did you start picking up the guitar? And I mean, presumably, you said in the Stegall Rioters review, initially you were in this band and it was like you wanted to do grunge, someone else wanted to do new metal. Mm. somebody else wanted to do kind of um pop punk mm-hmm. did you just find it massively frustrating being in a band um
1: i did but then at the same time all i craved was being in a band in a weird way i was in a i was i was in a couple of bands growing up there there was a band that had a modicum of success called monster in the park who i fronted mm. i mean that was um one of the cases of uh the the older boys kind of <laughs> so i think i would just been in guys and dolls as we've discussed on this podcast before because yeah. you were uh nathan detroit in your I was nathan of detroit. guys yeah. and dolls yeah yeah, yeah. i was nice nice johnson um mm. i have the best song in the show as nice nice johnson sit down You're rocking the boat
0: and the people said sit down, oh, sit down, down you're, down, you're rocking the, rockin the, the
1: boat and it kind of um through this production of guys and dolls which was the school you know the school play that year it kind of got around that oh that fat kid renfrey he can really sing (laughs) you know and there was a really (laughs) weird period where loads of bands started sort of started courting me if you will um i say loads of bands (laughs) two or three (laughs) two or three local (laughs) bands in thornbury near bristol um started uh yeah courting me um and uh, Monster in the Park were the least shit of those bands. And they did actually play gigs in Bristol as well. They used to play, you know, they played shows at the Louisiana in Bristol, at the Fleece and Firkin and stuff like that. I mean, the Fleece gigs were usually supporting a band, but, you know, they'd had like a modicum of success and they were actually in um, a scene that was beyond... They were They were in the city, you know? So Thornbury is a tiny market town 12 miles outside of Bristol but they were actually playing gigs in Bristol. Um, and that, I mean, what was Monster in the Park? I don't know. We had kind of grunge elements, but we were also listening to a lot of Thursday at the time. So we tried to be quite Thursday. It was, it was a bit of a mess, to be honest. Um, but, you know, we had a modicum of success and stuff like that. But picking up the guitar, I wanted to be a drummer for most of my um, teenage, well, i wanted to be dirt a drummer bag? early on <laughs> i wanted to be a teenage dirtbag <laughs> yeah exactly um but i wanted to be a drummer because guitar always seemed too difficult for me mm. and um my my half brother was um sort of estranged from us when we when i was growing up he kind of um he was fostered off when i was 10 years old and i went to visit him once uh and it's se- seemingly overnight he had picked up guitar And he was playing all of these, like, Guns N' Roses songs, Metallica songs. He was playing some Pantera, you know. And he'd been playing a year, maybe? And he was, to to my mind, certainly... I mean, I'm sure if I went back now and looked at it, then there's plenty of things that I could have picked him up on. But to my mind, Mm. at that time, he was playing these note-perfect renditions of these songs. And I was so floored. I was just stunned by how good he had got how quickly and my my idea of playing guitar had always been that it's ridiculously difficult your fingers bleed it's a very hard instrument to pick up yada 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 all those Mm. things are true by the way Um, but because because my brother had picked it up so quickly i thought i could as well what i didn't bear in mind is my brother was at music college at the time and he has a personality where when he wants to do something he very much focuses on that and everything else goes by the wayside so he was playing seven or eight hours a day and so he became he became proper like really like he became he looks like someone who'd been playing for seven or eight years rather than one Mm. uh because he just became obsessed with it he's got a very obsessive personality so he just became really really obsessed with playing guitar and that's more or less all he did um and i thought i would be that good that quickly and i reckon it it probably took me about 12 years to get as good as he was after a year i reckon um and even then (laughs) i'm not sure if i ever actually did but you know when i say he was doing these songs he was doing all the solos he was doing everything you know uh it was incredible
0: yeah people there are a few people who just pick it up it's fucking mental i mean i was talking about the guitarist in our band in the last episode and he just picked it up and started playing it and it's like yeah. what? how would you even you, you tuned it as well oh yeah you tune it yeah 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 Fuck. yeah. i never tune a guitar by ear Fucking yeah hell. all that stuff
1: all that stuff um so yeah so that that made the shift from drums to guitar and i bought my first guitar in disneyland i can't remember if i've told you this or not um no in the florida uh, not disneyland disney world the florida disney world uh
0: god i oh, went that's there much, much more much more normal <laughs> <laughs> they buy well, a disneyland they get ripped it's... off of disneyland <laughs> disney world they know about guitars um
1: yeah uh there's a it, it, well disney world as the name suggests is like i mean it's acres and acres and acres and acres and you can supposedly you're meant to be able to live in disney world if you want to they have houses that you can buy there and stuff like this i don't know if you know all this stuff um but they also have a they have an area at the time it was called disney marketplace i think it's changed names now but um and they had a they had a guitar shop in disney marketplace uh called i think yeah. it's just called guitar gallery i can't even remember now but it was actually next to virgin it was next to the largest virgin megastore in the world um and yeah i picked up my uh i just picked up a fender strap starter pack you know the ones that you get with the free not what well, not free practice amp but a practice amp 10 watt practice amp comes with it and uh, took yeah. this thing back on the fucking plane, which is ridiculous. I mean, why the oh. hell? Why the hell you did idiot. I? Yeah, why didn't I just get a Fender Strat Pack in the UK? It was just absolutely ridiculous. Oh, but my first two guitars I got in America, and brought back over. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> I'm just a fucking idiot when I was a kid. But anyway, <laughs>
0: I had <to> why? Play... <laughs> why would? Well Why would so, you do any of that.
1: So my, my my second guitar which is a it's basically a Kirk Hammett copy, right? I mean it's it's not actually yeah. a Kirk Hammett copy because um but it's it's the same guitar. Thank,
0: thank god you didn't get into drums. You'd be buying uh, <laughs> Universal Studios to buy a fucking drum kit. I know. I know.
1: <laughs> but I picked up this guitar again uh, next time next time I went to Florida, I think. And um that was like I I mean I think it was something like 200 pounds or 200 dollars cheaper in America or something like that but you know we had to take it through customs and they they added like an additional 200 quid on it so it was just just a total waste of time I should have just got it in the UK It was absolutely stupid but there you go yeah so that's how I got into guitar and then I ended up playing guitar uh pretty constantly actually um just not to the same Mm. extent as my brother but yeah
0: Fair enough. Okay. So how big a gap was there between you being in Monster in the Park? I didn't know if that was named after the Kiss movie. Kiss and the Monster in the Park is actually...
1: It was just a dumb name. We always wanted to change it. Um, we were never happy with it, Um, but it was named before I was in the band. I replaced the singer. Um, So I can't really tell you why it was named that, but no one liked it. I think the old singer named the band,
0: but the thing is, is right. they—they when when you replaced the singer, did you wear like a zombified mask of it, <laughs> your hair like is like, like that guy, and not tell anyone who you were? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I wish if I if I if I had far too much ego to not let people know who I was at the time. Um, so I mean, Monster in the Park split up because um the guitarist uh Alex Gregory who ended up doing rock photography actually did photos for thrice for um Glassjaw and fun fact the guitarist of my old band Monster in the Park you know the cover of Far Q by Lower Than Atlantis I do that's taken by um the old guitarist of Monster in the Park
0: Alex Gregory right shout out there
1: Mm. so um he went off to uh oh guitar center a place where you go to learn to play guitar for like three years that's what he did um and because he was there the band kind of split up and i was going off to drama school the next year anyway because i was a year behind the rest of the um band so drama school i mean the first year i was still playing i brought my acoustic with me i didn't want to bring my electric because you know i was living with housemates and stuff and i didn't want to piss them off with my shit versions of the slipknot riffs and stuff like that but i brought my acoustic with me which is a cl- you know classic move for a trainee actor to bring in a you, oh, listen, you know Absolute you know wankers yeah you wankers. know what i was doing uh, yeah, yeah, yeah you know wank- what i was doing yeah I was going to parties and uh, I'd be like, oh yeah, I'll pick up the guitar. I can play a couple of things and then I'd do like a perfect rendition of Grace by Jeff Buckley and um, mm-hmm. swoon, 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 swoon.
0: Um, but it was the only- is, is it possible to go to a student party without somebody playing Hey Jude? <laughs> Has that ever happened?
1: <laughs> that definitely, like, I remember quite specifically Hey Jude moments happening quite a lot at drama school as well. Every Ugh. single
0: fucking time. I mean, I do think- that's probably stopped now isn't it because less people play guitar less people buy guitar less young people are interested in you Mm. know that so i would like to think that that is a fucking something that has been put to the past as much as i you know think yeah good for you for learning an instrument and people should do that i mean bad versions of hey jude Just every fucking drama school party ever. It's the worst. Fuck off. It's
1: the worst. Mm. The one thing I will say in my defense is whilst everyone else was playing Hey Jude and fucking Wonderwall and all this shit. Like I said, I was doing Grace (laughs) by Jeff Buckley. Um, And, uh, oh, I used to do My Name is Jonas, but an acoustic version that I'd kind of worked out myself, which was quite nice. And then, uh, oh, God, like, fucking, I had all sorts of bullshit that I used to do um but yeah i mean it was just it was a way to get attention from the fairer sex and all that kind of thing at that time which was something i was particularly interested in at the time um and so on and so forth and yeah that was kind of that's all it was for a little bit and then as drama school became busier and like you know what the the schedule at drama school it's actually really really yeah. intense people don't appreciate mm you know i don't they probably just think that you dick about acting as a tree for eight hours uh, a week it's, it's the most
0: important job in the world <laughs>
1: <laughs> um but it's really not like that it is like full-on 37 and a half hour weeks at the very least actually then you've got rehearsal and stuff like that on top of that so whilst i technically had an acoustic guitar with me i was playing it less and less and less and less and my abilities were worsening and you know yada 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 so what what mm. was the time period i would say five to six years would be my guess i was in monster in the park between the ages of 16 and 17 i think and i probably started doing this around the age of 22
0: right, 21 okay. 22, something like that yeah yeah okay so um You've already given us a bit of backstory as to why you decided you wanted to get back into playing music again. I'm quite interested, Renfrey, in how you first started to approach solo singer-songwriting. Because that is different from being in a band. Yeah. I suppose you could basically do it at home in your room. You could write everything. You could do everything just in your room in your own time whenever you felt like it, right?
1: Well, that was the major advantage.
0: That was the major
1: advantage with it because you know all i needed was me and my guitar um i made things a little bit more complicated for myself as i went on because i brought in loads of like loop pedals and so on and so forth but for the for the most part that was a massively appealing part of it to begin with um the other appealing part for me was <laughs> i mean typical fucking drama student um i wanted to do something that scared me and the idea I mean, like I say, we will get onto the lyrics and stuff, but the idea of singing... The the, the lyrics are very, 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 very personal and very, very open, very purposefully, because I liked the idea of getting up, singing acoustic songs, so you've got nothing to hide behind anyway. If you play a chord wrong on an acoustic guitar, it sounds shit. If you play a chord wrong in a punk song... Uh, and it's covered with distortion, you, you might be able to get away with it unless you've really fucked it up. Do you know what I mean? You cannot hide with acoustic guitar, especially if it's just you and an acoustic guitar. And I wanted see, to do...
0: see Lauren Hill at MTV Unplugged, for <laughs> yeah,
1: example. Quite, quite. And I wanted to do something that would scare the shit out of me. I was kind of in a bit of a weird impasse in my life. I'd wanted to act my entire life, and then suddenly I just completely fell out with it because the actual business side of acting it's horrible it's like really vicious and quite nasty which you know full well and it was just really really tough and i i i'd wanted to be an actor since i was sort of seven or eight years old i think i've said this before but it was watching james bond which made me want to be an actor i was one of those weird kids who actually knew what they wanted to do with their lives and so then to finally uh turn around and realize god i really do not want to do this because the business side of it is horrible when you go months and months and months without work and yada 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 it was just too much it wasn't something i could cope with so um so yeah certainly the idea of doing something that would scare me and also the idea of um something that i could do by myself i think as time went on, I really missed being in a band and I really missed bouncing ideas off of other people, as is the case with everything. The grass is always greener. So when I was in a band, I was annoyed that people weren't going along with I- my ideas. And when I wasn't in a band, I was annoyed that I didn't have other people to bounce ideas off of, which is just fucking typical. Um, but, you know, that's that's how it was. But certainly at first it felt really freeing because it was like, wow, I can write a song totally on my own. And that's certainly what Campfire Punk Rock That was the big lesson of campfire punk rock. And then through drama school, I discovered a lot of singer-songwriters and folk music. We had a brilliant, a really interesting class, which I don't think any other drama school does, called Self Song. I don't know if you did this, but Self Song. No. At the end of the first term, in your first year of drama school, you have to write a song about yourself and then sing it to the rest of the school a cappella. And it's one of the most incredible things that I've ever done, like genuinely. It sounds really, really wanky and pretentious as a lot of things at drama school are. But it was just this amazing, like self-song was always a um, highlight of like the calendar year, uh, whether you were doing it yourself or whether you were watching other people's self-songs. And it was all, people would always break down in tears uh, singing their songs because the act of doing it cappella with no other instruments i mean it was just so and people would be singing about some really heartbreaking stuff in some cases um and it was an amazing experience i think to this day it remains kind of one of the most amazing adrenaline rushes i've ever had not whilst i was doing it but certainly after i'd done it Um, it was a pretty incredible project and then and then that turned into doing folk songs so that was taking someone else's song and reinterpreting that and trying to uh, tell that story so we did a lot about storytelling um, through music and so I think I think I think drama school really um, led into me wanting to do something like that But I'd also, my music palette had opened up because this was around the time that I discovered um, Nick Cave, Damien Rice. Uh, Damien Rice is a big one uh, for what I'm doing. Um, Rufus Wainwright, although he's less than what I was doing, but Rufus Wainwright. I knew Mm. Jeff Buckley I had been a fan of for a while anyway, but Jeff Buckley was definitely, I mean, I would say that I was trying to go for the Holy Trim, trim view it for me was Turner Rice uh I think she just said it Turner Rice Buckley Buckley
0: You definitely hear the Jeff Buckley I mean uh, on some of the demos particularly I can definitely hear a uh, an attempt for that um Jeff Buckley thing for sure
1: yeah yeah an attempt yeah <laughs> <laughs> Um
0: well I, I mean, mean it's a very very difficult artist to try and you know I mean in the same way as when I said to you, are we brought in White Pony and Jane Doe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, okay, well, good luck. It doesn't just happen. And being Jeff Buckley, only Jeff Buckley is Jeff Buckley, really. Yeah,
1: yeah. But certainly, um, I mean, I'd had Grace for ages, but I didn't get Live at Sinead until drama school kind of time. And, you know, Live at Sinead is a live album of him playing in the chine cafe in uh in new york just him and a guitar so that was a massive influence you know just think things like that um being able to create a song and um tell a story of sorts whether it be true or not through song in five minutes or or whatever you know um and i bought the tab book for grace uh oh probably probably beginning of drama school i think and sort of gradually learned to play most of the songs from grace over over a period of a couple of years and jeff buckley uses really weird interesting chords and there was a big thing that i was trying to do a lot of singer songwriters would just use like the bottom end of the fretboard um and i would try to be all over the fretboard Not all the time, but I wanted to use the whole fucking guitar rather than because I didn't really understand fully why singer songwriters limited themselves so much. But there was this constant push and pull of me like wanting to be in a band, really, Um, but also not not wanting to give away any kind of creative. um, I had a very clear vision of what I wanted to do. I think my I mean, looking back on it now, I think I think I was too rigid in what I wanted to do sometimes um if i went too far away from the turner rice buckley trio i'd be like oh no well that isn't right that's not what i'm trying to do and annoyingly looking back on it now and having reviewed music for the last 10 years when i went on those kind of weird diversions that was probably me finding my sound but i probably hated it because it sounded alien to me um and I was like, no, 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 I must bring it back to Turner, Buckley and Rice. Uh, yeah,
0: it's funny you say that because you actually said to me on the phone yesterday that, um, so you sent me, so I, I've got the 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 EP that we're talking about. I've also got uh, a demo of five different songs. The Pritchard Sessions. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesse after Lee. The producer. Yep, Jesse Lee, Melody, When We Were Kings Mastered uh innocent mastered and codown mastered and I, I keep putting mastered at the end of uh because they were mastered, probably were wasn't mastered. it yeah um <laughs> i don't know being a wanker sorry uh and um <laughs> uh but but they are they are definitely i think uh when you listen to the songs as an album as a 10 you go oh there's actually quite a lot of different stuff going on here mm. um And you said yourself, you were like, maybe I should have kept some of these demos on the EP. Yeah,
1: I was really determined for it to all be new songs, apart from All's Fair and Love and War, actually, which is the second track on the EP, which was a song I'd had for ages. And I just was desperate to get it out in a form that I liked. I don't know why, but I struggled with that song for years and years and years. Anyway, I probably should have just left it alone. But... um, it's funny i rediscovered these demos i was just clearing out my room and i came across a blank cd i was like what's that i put it in my computer just to check what it was and it was these demos and i hadn't heard them god for seven eight years maybe longer probably longer um and i listened to them for the first time being Far enough away from them to be able to actually judge them for what they were, rather than just listening to them. And when you're listening to your own stuff, you're always just like, "Oh God, I fucking." I mean, when you're listening to steggle I'm sure eighty percent of what you're listening to is your vocals and what you're doing, what you're perceiving yeah. as doing in quote unquote wrong. Uh, yeah. You ju- you just hear all the mistakes all the time, and because i'd not listened to those demos for so long i could hear them as other people hear them probably for the first time ever i think and um i think i i I think debatably there's stronger material on the demos than there are on the ep um which is kind of why i wanted to send them to you (laughs) because i was like no 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 there was other stuff as well um Uh, because there are some songs on there i mean when we were kings was just like a massive one which people really really liked that song for some reason and i just and and funnily enough that song is written about uh the guy who i was in a band with who we wrote black rose with and we were trying to like um get in a band together and all that sort of stuff it was written Mm -hmm. about him um just one of one of those relationships that you have with someone i mean this happens to this day we are so close uh me and jamie but we also we fight like brothers you know like when you're really 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 close with someone and all the good things and all the bad things that come with that as well yeah um and when we were kings i, I sort of dashed off in like 45 minutes and i think because i wrote it so quickly i didn't kind of view it as a very good song um right. but M- m- many 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 times when i played it live i played it live most sets because it just seemed to get a good reaction uh so yes
0: um mm. well i mean before you go any further and talking mm. about exactly what is what um i think it's probably as you read my artist bio uh yeah, go on, I, 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 I should gonna... probably probably read yours oh. i mean this is on reverb nation oh, no. this is renfrey's uh, artist bio, and you can work out who was sillier out of the two of us. The idea of writing and performing intimate songs before an audience of mostly strangers with just a microphone and guitar is not what Renfrey Deadman had in mind for a career. That straight away sounds like a sort of setup for some sort of like '80s buddy cop movie. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Renfrey Deadman didn't want to be a singer songwriter.
1: It's so anyway. off. It's, it's the worst part is you know I wrote it.
0: At the moment oh, yeah. it, it comes
1: the moment it comes up with a third person, you know that I wrote it. Oh yeah. I go on.
0: I always wanted to be in a much louder rock band. Unfortunately, I was always with the right people at the wrong time or the wrong people at the wrong time. That's fine. That's yeah. fine, I think. You're basically yeah. saying you want to be in a rock band and you've sort of admitted that. Um, That's made me go, hmm, during a disorderly New Year's jamming session. Oh God, there's been a fly on the wall at that disorderly. <laughs> Renfrey had an, an epiphany. Deciding to take matters into his own hands, he wrote a few songs of his own and performed them for friends. It seemed the most punk rock thing I can do. If I can't find a group of guys to play music with, then fuck it. I'll just do it by myself. <laughs> uh, which, you know, it is, I think... You're not alone in thinking that. I mean, that's why this whole thing is sort of stemmed up. I think, yeah. you know, you, you've put it in a massively dramatic way. Yeah, but, but like the, the, the you're right, you know, applying his love of rock, metal and hardcore to a more gentle <laughs> acoustic style is easy. <laughs> is it? Um I approach folk songs the way I would I would approach a big rock song you just replace the power chords and the electric guitar with open chords and the acoustic guitar the two styles are really very similar do you still feel like that? No i uh, I was going to say I'm not sure they are to but anyway that's the sort of beauty of I'm always like isn't it really good that we can review such like disparate forms of music and they're so everything about them is so different and I've just found this quote from you going nah they're sort of the same basically <laughs> <laughs> <It's> <laughs> Anthrax and Damian awesome. Rice basically the same thing. do, what do you um, know do you know
1: what I was thinking of when I put hardcore as well? Because I was big into Converge at the time and I was like, Yeah, I mean Converge are basically doing that, aren't they? <laughs> it's like, no, they're not. If you play if you play Concubine on an acoustic guitar, it doesn't sound very good. but then work. the Blood
0: Moon if you really I mean, you know, they managed to change it all with Blood Moon. That's true. Yeah, yeah. So
1: maybe I maybe I did have maybe a maybe you there. were right. Maybe
0: you are <laughs> right. In, February, that in the future that was in the future in fe- at the time. It was, yeah. In February 2010, Renfrew recorded his debut e- EP, I Tell My Guitar, The Things I Used To Tell You. He spent six months meticulously crafting and honing five songs, creating a big sound using multi-track vocals, several guitars, piano strings, and maraba. marimba. 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 Okay. Okay. In the studio, I didn't even think about playing the songs live. Uh, this is quite an interesting thing, actually. In the studio, I didn't even think about playing the songs live. I just wanted to add as much of the songs as possible and give them a rich, timeless quality. The arrangements sound big, considering there's only one person playing. That seems to be an oxymoron, you sir. because I, I was going to say, I was like, oh, fuck, it's not just, you know, this whole, like, oh, it's punk rock thing. I mean, actually... You've got string, well, you've got strings and piano and mar- marimba, marimba, <laughs> uh, and you've there are there is you know there is quite a lot of production. I mean, even just even just drums, even yeah. just having drums on some of these songs, like you know Chuck Reagan and Frank Turner and Vinnie Caruna and uh, all of those people that I mentioned earlier. It usually is just them with an acoustic guitar, straight mm-hmm. away, isn't it? Uh, Uh, yeah there's usually
1: subtle bits and pieces here and there but yeah yeah um a lot of the time it is yeah yeah yeah.
0: um so i was quite surprised that you did go for you know sort of almost full band instrumentation
1: well i think probably i mean it would have been a couple of years later by the time i got round to doing the ep itself um and it, it was this constant push and pull between loving the idea of just being able to write songs and take them out there and play them but also really wanting to be in a band Mm -hmm. um I really loved the idea I mean there are plenty of people who've done it um but the first the first one that I became aware of was uh Dave Grohl with Foo Fighters i loved the idea of making a album or ep or whatever where i played everything on it Mm. and um broadly i do play everything on this except for yeah except for drums so the drums on the first and third track are my good friend joe white who's in stomp or used to be in stomp i should say um oh man i think i think the second track i like i mean obviously the strings and the piano and the marimba and stuff like that they are all just like they're played on synths To because i didn't have the money to have actual proper strings and shit and mm. i can't and i can't play the string quartet but i played them all in but i think it's the second song i think all's fair in love and war um i just couldn't do it so my producer did that one which i'm sure he's credited for I would
0: hope so. Uh, I I believe I believe he is. Yes. Um, oh, amazing. Just let me double check. That was um, good of me. <laughs> string arrangements by Nick, Nick Harris. Harris, Yeah, who produced yeah. it? Yeah.
1: Okay. Um. So yeah, but but yeah, and certainly ninety three percent of this is played by me. Like every mm-hmm. note on it, more or less.
0: Uh, uh. Okay. Consequently, in a live setting, Renfrey uses the basic song and improvises. Improvises around the structure to cre- create a unique show every time.
1: Yeah, yeah. Pressure. Now, again, this was from the Jeff Buckley thing, because Jeff Buckley used to, like they, he used to say that he never played the song the same way twice. Mm. So I would literally just take the start of a song. It was usually, I mean, the reason why it was different is because I started using loop pedals and all this kind of thing, and the different loops that I would do, they would be different every time. But it usually meant, that I would, I mean, this is where the post-rock stuff comes in. There would be like a 13 minute version of When We Were Kings, (laughs) you know, just like building up and building up with all these harmonies and stuff. And I'd be like, I'd be I'd be you know I'd do stuff where I'd build it up loads and loads and loads and then I'd go to the bar and order a drink and then I'd come back and build it up even more and all this sort of nonsense it's quite similar to what you're doing in Steggle you know putting a bin on mm. your head um mm. but there was a lot of that kind of bullshit to it you know just kind of like um trying to build it up and become this massive massive wave of sound but just using me and an acoustic guitar and I would do stuff like I would turn the guitar um upside down and start drumming on it to make a kind of beat pattern and then I would loop that and all that kind of thing I mean you know Katie Tunstall did this around uh, a few years earlier on Jules Holland and I saw that production that was the first time that I'd seen someone using loop pedals really really well um and yeah I mean it was totally ripped off of that um you ripped off yeah. cun-
0: cunty turnstile <laughs> yeah. hey katie Thompson's lovely
1: she's a lovely person
0: um but I'm sure yes she is she is lovely um i'm sure she is i'm sure <laughs> steve gutenberg's lovely as well He's making <laughs> him a good actor <laughs> um but yeah so
1: live it became this and i'm sure i mean my the, the guy who produced it nick he was constantly saying to me Like, by all means, do the loop stuff, but you get a bit lost in it. And sometimes when something's been going on for that long, I was like, no, no. (laughs) But it would mean that I'd do like three song sets and stuff like that. Right. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. (laughs) not even the
0: whole EP. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um, Consequently, uh, uh, I have to know. I I know I have to get from point A to point B, but I can choose any number of ways to get there. I just let the mood take me and see what happens. That's fine. Whilst his career may not have gone the way he had originally intended, he has managed to carve out a unique musical vision by approaching the folk world with a punk rock spirit. Things don't always work out the way you expect them to, but they do work themselves out. The The voice of the 2010s, ladies and gentlemen. The voice of a generation. (laughs)
1: <laughs> i mean considering i now write bios for a living that's mm. you know could have could have been a lot worse that that actually i thought that was going to be much worse than i remembered it yeah i think there is an alternative yeah. bio which is far worse
0: <laughs> right, well, mind. i won't find that one <laughs> um so anyway so uh we should so yeah i mean demo wise so we've talked we've talked about the the sort of the difference in the demo and i actually i do broadly agree with you i mean funnily enough because I just thought, you know, this will be funny. I was like, I'm going to listen to the demos first. And Jesse Lee the f- was the first song that I listened to. Mm. And both me and my girlfriend and even Merlin from Metal Hammer, who called me while I was listening to it. And I was like, this is Rimfree," And he was like, fucking hell. We mm. couldn't quite believe how good it was, Rimfree. Oh,
1: that's like, very kind of you.
0: It, it was genuinely really, really good. Mm. Really good. And not... Necessarily, what I expected it to be. I think you can hear the Damien Rice in there. You can certainly hear the Jeff Buckley in there. You can definitely hear the Frank Turner in there. Mm. I think the only time I did go ah a bit was when that that, that kind of... The really obvious Jeff Buckley-isms of it uh, are not really a problem for me because I know, you know, I like Jeff Buckley. I know who you're trying to ape. But I think, like, they are very, very pronounced. It's the blinding, Jeff Buckley-isms in them are, obvious. like... Yeah, mm. uh, and I was like, it doesn't really feel like that's you so much. That would be mm-hmm. my only criticism of it. But actually, <laughs> you've got a good, you've got a good voice, and lyrically, I thought it was, was it was, just sounded cool, and um, and I really liked it, and I and I really liked Code Down as well.
1: Oh, okay. I almost didn't send you that.
0: Really? Mm. Okay. Why not? That
1: was more of a muck about, really. Uh... Well.
0: I mean, that's got a kind of Nick Cave into yeah, it. Yeah, well, it's yeah. nasty, isn't it? You say yeah. something about Chris, I'm going to tell the kids that there's no Santa Claus. <laughs> <and all. laughs>
1: that is an actual line. That it? is an actual line. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I had a sense of humor. Yeah. Co um, Down, it, it was actually meant to be Ho Down, uh, but uh, right. the producer named it incorrectly, but uh, it became known as Kodan, so that's fine. Mm. A bit like um, Donkey Kong
0: was meant to be called Monkey Kong. You do know that, don't you? It's actually not not I learned that from A, but it is a fact as well. I didn't know that. No, there you go. Um yeah. as famous as Donkey Lost Kong. Lost in Japanese translation. <laughs> <Go on.
1: laughs> um yeah. so yeah, no, Kodan was just kinda of like a muckabout song. I wrote that on the way on a national express on the way back from London once don't know what I was doing but I remember I wrote the entire thing on the bus and then and I had this idea in my head as to what it would sound like musically but I was like oh, I'm not gonna be able to try it out until I get home and put it on the acoustic guitar but then yeah I wrote all the lyrics on the three-hour journey back from London to Bristol Um and then uh, yeah put it together that night and it was just kind of done there and um I think that's is that part of the Pritchard sessions because I think one of th- one of those sessions was recorded in Abbey Road. Oh. Um, because my friend Paul Pritchard, <clears throat> wonderful man, um, who who is now a producer at Abbey Road, he just started doing like an internship thing at Abbey Road. Um, and uh, he basically just needed, um, uh, he needed practice. So he just said to me, if you have anything that you want to record, just let me know. And we'll go in and we'll, do it you know um but because obviously the studio was being used by people who were paying for it and like real professional proper musicians during the day i had to go in at something like two o'clock in the morning i mean i recorded the pritchard session in a night and then sort of went straight to work kind of thing i didn't sleep for two days um to do it um and that was just a funny stupid thing i mean that song (laughs) was recorded in the same room as hey jude was recorded
0: (laughs) (laughs) I would rather people <laughs> sung that at fucking drama school parties <laughs> than fucking "Hey Jude." To be fair, it's, it's crazy. sort of like a. It's like a sort of Disney Stagger Lee. Disney Stagger That's not bad. That's all right. Yeah. I quite like that. It's
1: Like I'll a sort of that.
0: PG Stagger Lee. Like George Lucas <laughs> doing Stagger Lee. Fuck you know what I mean, that.
1: I'm quite happy yeah. with that. That's all right. Yeah. I mean, definitely the Nick Cave thing was a fucking obvious thing. I, I think I was just kind of like, I'm going to write a funny. One of, the, one of the funny Nick Cave songs, I'm going to try my hand at that. Um, and uh, it's all right. I mean, it's a total fucking muck around. I do an awful yee-haw thing in the middle of it, but which I wanted to get rid of. Um, but my producer was like, no, that's fucking killer. It works really well. Um, and um, yeah, uh, it's, that, that really was just a knockoff thing. I mean, Jesse Lee had a lot more effort put into it jesse lee was about a girl called jessica jessica lee who i met um down in portsmouth your neck of the woods Did you My after, neck of the woods. A, after a rival schools gig and uh we just sort of hung out and stuff and i had a bit of a crush on her um ended up going back to her place nothing happened it's all fine uh this is a pg story um and <laughs> i wrote a song about her i was just like but but not like i just thought she had a cool name like Jessie lee i was like oh that is a cool name and i thought it'd be a cool name to write a song about but it wasn't strictly about her and then i sent it to her and it's about kind of running away with someone and she freaked out and she blocked me on all the social services <laughs> uh, social services social medias and all that kind of thing <laughs> I mean, Did she, she, got, really? she,
0: she yeah yeah it was a <laughs> fucking travesty
1: oh and dear i was not expecting at all that like to send and her you wrote the, the song. rest of
0: the ep about her <laughs> after that <laughs> <The
1: big caveat. laughs> oh, she left, oh, oh, she left me. i was not expecting at all for her to turn around and be like oh my god this is incredible but i said when i sent it to her i did very very specifically say the song isn't strictly about you i've just used your name because it's because i didn't want to freak her out and it wasn't really about her i didn't want to run away with her and like go to fiji or whatever i say in the fucking song um but yeah, Mexico, she... Mexico City. Is it, Mexi- well? Is it Mexico City? Yeah, oh, I want to go all and over Fiji, the place. And Fiji, yeah, both. I want to go all over the place with Jessie Lee. But um, yeah, it really, it really was. I just thought she had a cool name. And I wanted to use... I just thought it sounded like a cool protagonist in a song to be honest um and she freaked kids, out but kids if you're
0: listening this is real life yeah you know you watch fucking rom-coms and you think <laughs> you write a song about someone and you end up getting married the next day or they leave their fucking husband of 35 years and, yeah. and go away. no no that's not what happens you get blocked on fucking social media that's actually what happens yeah, so exactly just a little another little life lesson so yeah. she
1: she blocked me but here's here's a weird twist in the tale her friend contacted me and said hey i listened to your uh, jesse the the song you wrote about jessica i think it's really 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 good and then we started having a thing for a bit so <laughs> there you go so sometimes
0: it all you works got out in the end sloppy seconds of <laughs> jesse lee
1: I mean, that wasn't the aim. I promise you, it wasn't the aim. I know it sounds. I like really want to aim. find this, Jesse,
0: this Jessica Lee girl. I really want to find her. And go, hi, sorry, you don't know me, but and then record my own version. You fucking bitch, you <laughs> broke my heart, <laughs> Jessica Lee. I'll fucking kill you. Um, so my friend Renfrey has written this <laughs> song, and I think it's about you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I met her at the Wedgwood Rooms as well, which I'm assuming you've been to loads. Mm. It was after a uh, yeah. It was Those well. times. It was rival schools. I think I saw rival schools there, and that's. Uh, mm. <laughs> yeah. I was just just met at the. They had the after party thing, club thing, really messy. Yada yada yada. You know, yeah. I met her because some boy, some big lad, was uh, trying to get with her. And she turned around to me and she was like, can you pretend to be my boyfriend? And then I was like, yeah, I'll pretend to be your boyfriend. That sounds great. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll pretend to be your
0: boyfriend. I'll write a song about you right now.
1: <laughs> Unfortunately, I escalated it. <laughs> just made a fucking travesty of myself as per.
0: <laughs> I'm just pretending, oh God. Um, okay, well, uh, I was, I was I, a fucking I mean,
1: mess. Uh, like in terms of girls and yada yada yada, I was a mess and I was doing shit like that was. all the time. <laughs> And, and that is predominantly what the EP is about. <laughs> like What a fucking mess Well,
0: I, am. I was going to say, let's get into the actual EP itself. It came out on Whilst You Were Fucking I Made Music Records. You thought Cat and Cakey was a stupid name for a record label. <laughs> you know, we never spoke about why Cat and Cakey was called Cat and Cakey, but, you know, that's in the past. Um, I'll just tell you really quickly as an aside. Daz, our bass player, her nan had a dog. And a dog had two squeezy toys. One with a one was a cat, and one was a bit of cake. And the dog would go mental. And she goes, "Where's cat and cakey? Where's cat? Go and find cat and cakey. Go and find <laughs> cat and cakey." Hence, cat and cakey records was born. But um, I love the fact, fact talking... that whenever
1: you do an impression of someone from Overton, it's exactly the same voice every time. Like they all time. sound the same. Yeah. Hold on. Yeah. My
0: girlfriend's the... darling. She's not listening. Um, I was going to ask her if she could do an impression of someone from over and it would have been that everybody sounds like that um whilst you're fucking i made music records uh i a mouthful um uh, on. I need, that one I... uh, chopin was it
1: <laughs>
0: no. <laughs> <At> Beethoven <laughs> no
1: um i needed a name <laughs> um and i uh and i and i thought about what the ep was about and the ep predominantly is about me um trying desperately to get some and not getting any uh, so i thought i thought it was quite inappropriate
0: <laughs> and also the one eight become two zeros record as yes, well on copyright which we have discussed before mm. yeah 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 yeah, so have, one eight, yeah yeah
1: yeah one eight becomes two zeros is, is actually meant to be the label i believe um whilst you were fucking i was making music is just kind of like
0: phonographic copyright yeah it's is the phonograph it's the
1: copyright Yeah, yeah 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 yeah, yeah. so so, so, but I had the label name already. That was all sorted. But then when I was like inputting all the details, you have to put input all the details onto this database so that it has all the shit, blah, blah, blah. And I didn't realize I needed that. So I was just like, uh, whilst I was fucking, you made music. Uh, that was kind of ripped off of Soundgarden because their publishing name is uh, You Make Me Sick, I Make Music.
0: Okay. Yeah, yeah it was there's that is simple better, and, oh there's this yeah. far
1: better there's this far better but you know that's 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 what i came up i think i had a copy of super unknown next to me and i kind of looked through it. i was like okay i can just do a riff on that
0: mm. it's quite a lot of like easter eggs of uh of like big rock bands and stuff throughout this actually isn't there well you could, uh, chopin glass Soundgarden. <laughs>
1: those are the big three the big three <laughs> um you could argue they're easter eggs or you could argue it was me ripping them off because uh, I didn't have any solid ideas myself. <laughs> but then actually, Fair hey, that's what all bands do when they start. So I don't think that's too awful a thing. Mm. But yeah. I've got
0: to say, Motown Ain't Big Enough for the Three of Us is a fucking brilliant name for a song. Thank you. There's a lot of people Good, who thought that was a load of shite.
1: And I was like, I think it's great. I I still like Motown I Ain't like Big it. Enough for the that Three of Us.
0: Yeah. sounds like an Every Time I Die song title.
1: There you go. Thank you very much. Yeah. So, shame about the song. Is that what you're going to say? <laughs>
0: <laughs> no I wasn't no. going to say that uh, okay. well it doesn't sound like every time I die it <laughs> no, certainly doesn't sound like every no. time I die um, but I just I like the title I, okay. I want to start with sheep in wolf's clothing which mm. I have to say Renfri I probably wouldn't have started with this okay and I'll tell you for why because it is a very you know I'm a I'm a guy with the truth in the guitar and I do this for art and there are too many people who are doing it for monetary reasons and the and my soul can't take can't take it. I don't think it's a great thing to write a song about, if I'm being honest. I get it. I understand why one would do that. I mean, fuck me. We're just talking about our, my shitty version of Fuck the Police in the last <laughs> thing. So it's not like I ha- have the monopoly on, like, writing. There's also a song about... I wouldn't say it's a mistake. There's also an anti-death penalty song on Angerod as well. So we've oh, got right. pla- covering all the fucking cliched bases. basses yeah, um, yeah, yeah. On, uh, on, on that record. But, yeah, but I did think, like, it sort of sticks out a bit because, you know, it's just... Um, it's a bit it's it's a bit preachy
1: oh it's so preachy i agree with you entirely um what i was trying to do what i i loved what um jamie lenman was brilliant at it in ruben more more in ruben than in his solo stuff Mm. and frank was quite good at it as well i really liked songs which were about the process of songwriting um and i you know there's, there's a song called Return of the Jedi by Reuben, which kind of breaks down like how shitty it is being in a band. I mean, Freddy Krueger by Reuben, probably one of their biggest songs yeah. is basically about how it's shitty being in a band. And I wanted to do my own version of that. Um, and there were, I mean, there were there was a few bands around at the time who I kind of hung out with. I, I said that the drummer on the first of the tracks on this EP was in Stomp. There was a few bands who I kind of hang out around with at the time who were friends of people in stomp, um, who very much, I remember sitting down with a singer once who was talking about kind of, uh, wanting to have like trying to get chart positions and so on and so forth. And they were in this kind of like punk. I don't know if you ever, um, heard this band hopeless heroic, but they were kind of like that very, very heavy sort of hardcore punk band with, uh, violins and stuff like that Mm. um i think i did um like they they, like similar to steggall they would have like got a review in kerrang and stuff like that and then kind of split Mm. up and didn't go much further um but i remember that like the lead singer for that band was a cunt um he (laughs) used to be he used to be in uh a hip-hop duo called Sibyl and brains and they were scottish but they put on american accents they were they were scottish but they put on american accents and ended up supporting d12 at brixton academy and there's this whole story there's actually a documentary about them which you can watch there's this whole story about how they kind of um oh god how can i explain it just 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 pretended to be uh american to sort of cheat the system and it was just kind of like this sort of you know hero story but everything everything that this guy used to do was just fake everything and i didn't see any authenticity in it or anything like that at all and there was a few bands like that that i was hanging around with at the time and it was just basically a massive fuck you to them um but yeah absolutely it is preachy as fuck and it made me sound like a right dickhead right from the very beginning
0: uh- <laughs> yeah putting it on straight away i was like oh fucking hell here we go i mean actually again the, the the parallel between you and I, Mr. Fight Boy on the Stego album is basically about I said we played in Andover and people hated us. Yeah. That song is basically about going you live in your little scene and all these 10, 20, 30 people from your town say that you're brilliant, but if you walk a mile down the road, you're nothing. And yeah. you're too scared to actually do anything because you and you you just you just want to stay in your little town and be a little fucking a somebody in your town but really you're nobody and i know that's not really what that song is about but i think looking at people in bands and looking at people in music and feeling frustrated and cheated and um and seeing through them and wanting to kind of express (laughs) that in music i think is a pretty you know is a it's a it's a a pretty common thing to do when you're sort of up and certainly when you're up and coming and you haven't really done anything yet
1: totally it's just it's just i did it in a very hoity-toity manner um, and did it in a kind of manner which which comes across as very kind of like i'm doing this in a noble fashion and you're not which uh is very unfortunate um but it's a perfectly fair criticism um i mean certainly i remember having a conversation with this um singer from hopeless Heroic once and th- th- you know they were very much like a punk slash hardcore kind of band but the mm. sort of band who were clearly like give it a year or two and they were going to turn into like kids in glass houses or something like that because they had a they had an audience that who were very young and liked that kind kind of thing and I remember him I remember having a conversation really long conversation with him once about how they were talking about releasing their album in January because you only needed to sell x amount of copies to get a number one album and yada 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 and just thinking why does that stuff even matter to you you know and like that song came out of conversations that i was having with people around me like that where i was just Mm. like it doesn't fucking matter you know so Mm. i think i think yeah i think um i think it did come from a good place it just became quite uh it just it just makes me sound a bit pretentious there it is um and up myself a little bit but yeah and i also rip off the gaslight anthem song on that as well do you there's a bit um uh always Waiting for something to happen, uh, which is basically ripped off of Great Expectations, The best gaslight like anthem.
0: Okay, all right. Well, I didn't notice that to be honest, but hooray! Um, <laughs> uh, we should talk about All's Fair in Love and War properly then. Um, you're right. <laughs> yeah, fine. <laughs> yeah, fine. <Are> you sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is. The thing about, you know, what I guess it doesn't really feel fair doing this because... No, go on, go on, it's fine. I turned, I turned around with... I mean, it's not a bad song at all. I don't think any of the songs on here are bad songs. I think if, if we'd got this, uh, like, to do what we did with Stegall, I think if we'd got this, I actually think we'd be... I think if we got the 10 tracks, I think we'd be pretty positive about it. Okay. Um, I think if we got this, we would go... Some of it is... I mean... F- I you know, you're right, in 2010 again, you've got to look at it through the prism of, you know, where it when, when it came it. out, yeah. and in 2010 I don't think we'd reached saturation point for this kind of thing at that point, and actually, some very very good songs, and some there are some very very good songs, I mean, I know people who you know, we've spoken about before, people who can't listen to Stage 4 by Touche More because I think it's yeah. too much I've just taken the piss out of the bloke from Spanish Love Songs the other week, was not I, because, you mm-hmm. know at this point, I just listen to bands like that and I just hear someone going like, <laughs> and that's it, that's his He's like, what's this song about? I don't know, I just really cry. I just cry all the time. like you know. And But I don't think we'd quite reach the point now where and then when I hear these bands and it's like very, very emotionally open, very, very raw, very honest. I think that's really fucking brave. And I do think it's really brave of you to have gone down that road if you like mm. um and like you know i kind of bottled it with i'd say I bottled it i just it was the truth that, that i didn't write all the lyrics for the the Stegall album mm-hmm. so i kind of could go well i know that's about that and i kind of maneuver these around but you know it, it's probably actually better and more artistically true for what you've done which is basically bear your soul as you do on this this song
1: well also in love of war i I think the reason why i kept going back to it and wanting to um because there are so many demo versions of it it's unreal um in terms of that um it was one of the first songs i wrote um and in terms of that wanting to be um uh yeah bear your soul just behind an acoustic guitar and nothing else um it's exactly what i wanted to do um really it was m- lyrically it was far more influenced by damien rice than anything because if you hear damien rice's um uh album tracks there are songs where he is really really open and very i wanted to write a song which didn't paint the narrator the narrator the protagonist whatever as a good person necessarily so you could almost say mm. that it was a cross between damien rice and glass sure, <laughs> in a way yeah. um uh and it's predominantly true all the stuff in also in and love of war um and uh there was a song particularly called accidental babies by damien rice which is on nine which i remember which I gave we you. we
0: spoke about yeah we spoke about yeah. that fair bit mm.
1: i gave you in trade-off and that song is about someone having an affair with a woman and, and basically and um getting kind of jealous uh of um of of their husband or whoever the actual person is and there's there's lines in it there's a line was do you come every time uh do you come together every time you're with him and stuff like that and it's so kind it's so razor sharp and it's like wow you're being really personal there and that's more or less what i wanted to do i wanted to do my version of that it's it's fucking it's very honest though isn't it (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> it was tough. Well, yeah. Do you still picture me naked? You, yeah. somebody like thinner than me, and yeah, um, younger yeah. than me, and all this yeah. kind of stuff. And yeah, I was like, oh god. <laughs>
1: that was about. It was um. It was basically, but actually, the song is actually quite, even to this day, I think it's a relatively nice sentiment in the sense mm. that it was actually a song about my first ever long term girlfriend. We broke up after like two years, and basically, it's a song written maybe like a year after we broke up or something like that basically going you really fucking hurt me but you know what all's fair in love and war fair enough like i've moved on and it's okay that's basically what the song is and actually as as a sentiment i still think that's really nice
0: yeah yeah it is actually i mean there (coughs) is one bit where you you kind of go I hate you. Be, what, what's the lyric? I hate you because I'm infatuated with you or mm. I despise you because I adore you or it's something like that. And I was like, mm, that's a pretty on the nose. On, I mean, it's again, very honest and it's quite on the note. I mean, there's, you know, people that I hated because I was in a relationship with them for ages and I didn't, you know, if I didn't give a shit about them at all, then I probably wouldn't have been so angry with them in the first place. But <laughs> do you know what I mean? Uh, well, the there's, place, a of, the there's a kind
1: of, there's a, there's a sort of angry middle eight bit which is Mm. which is there's 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 like an angry bit where it is far more kind of like oh fuck you you hurt me um just to kind of like i I suppose just to get that stuff in there um but but overall the tone of the song is i mean the chorus is like it won't be long till we both find someone and like it'll we'll move on it's a song about moving on basically
0: um a few of them are as well. I mean, the sweetest day as well at the end, the kind of last line that you may have lost a lover, but you ain't lost a friend.
1: It's about exactly the same person. and It's about exactly the yeah. same thing. Yeah.
0: Right. Hmm.
1: Yeah. Sweetest day used to go on for fucking hours live. <laughs> I used to build it up so much. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was intense. It was really intense.
0: And that was the payoff. You may have lost a lover, you lost a friend. People sitting there for 30 minutes and you get out of the end, you go... <laughs> i think i think take I it outside ex- mate <laughs> get a room
1: <laughs> i think i would kind of extend a bit after that and just it just build up and up and up and then i build harmonies over it and yada 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 i'm pretty sure there was one time when i ordered a drink from the bar and then down to the pint before finishing the song i mean all sorts Come of on, bullshit. Then. Go on, yeah. son, yeah, yeah, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. But again,
0: like, I mean, to be fair to you, if you've got, you, you do tread quite a fine line between kind of melancholy and, I, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and go, oh, I can definitely see the hardcore, but I can see that there's, you know, there's a, there's, uh, there is a bit of, you know, it is a bit more um, raucous and a bit more, I don't know, there is a bit of rock in there. You know, I mean, I think that kind of the anger that comes from rock and metal is definitely at least prevalent bubbling under the surface. But, yeah, you do have quite a nice um, grasp of melody and you do have quite a nice. um, uh, I I think, you know, that kind of that openness leads to quite a lot of. You know, uh, quite quite touching melancholic moments and there are things in there where i think the first time i heard it you go what did you just say like i see jesus mocking me because i don't have the will to believe stuff like that yeah when i first heard it i was like is that david brent or is that actually quite good but (laughs) then (laughs) and you know and yeah after after a few listens i was like it's actually like you've done quite well to kind of straddle that line i think
1: Oh, well, that's very kind of you. Um, that's all right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, I I can't really comment. I can't go. I can't kind of go. Yes, I did. Because uh, that would seem awful. <laughs> there are certainly like yeah, it would. I worked really fucking hard on the lyrics, and there are definitely lyrics that I struggle hearing back now. Because I just go, oh my god, that's so poorly put together or whatever um but yeah i guess um i mean i wang on about lyrics all the fucking time and like i've always i've always um really treasured really amazing lyrics um so i worked fucking hard on them like sometimes i would i mean all's fair and love and war i probably have 12 sets of lyrics to something ridiculous like that so i did work hard on them i just i just sometimes had that sort of pretension level would sort of come into it a bit too much but then considering where this project was born from and considering that like it was basically an idea sparked in my mind from drama school i think it begins to make a lot more sense when you Mm. kind of (laughs) hear that you know whether that's a good thing or not i mean i don't think it is a good thing to be honest um but uh yeah yeah i think that jesus line's quite good (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, it is actually. Um Ode to a Friend is like a short one. That kind of breaks the EP up quite nicely. Short and a bit more um upbeat, a bit more frank turnery, isn't it? I mean very frank turnery. It's
1: very frank turnery, yeah. Um uh yeah, it's when I look back on the EP now, it's probably my least favourite moment. Um uh, I'm glad you say that it breaks it up because that was exactly the purpose of it. Yeah, I think it was. Um I think the problem with it is I think it kind of sounds so different from the other the other four songs on the ep itself are actually quite oh they're not all the same but they're all quite melancholy and dour whereas oto a friend is literally my friend got the part of hamlet in a production of hamlet and i was and i wrote it for him in an afternoon to be like fucking hell man i'm really proud of you um the production of hamlet Turned out, and I don't think he'll mind me saying this. The production of Hamlet turned out to be dire, uh, and it was very much an albatross around his neck rather than a good thing. But at the time that he got it, I was just immensely proud of him, and it was incredible. And you know, um he was uh, oh god, he's a little bit older than me, but he would have been like 27. So getting the role of Hamlet at that age, even though it was just some sort of touring fringe production, it was still you know something I was immensely proud of. So. That's all it was about, really. That's brilliant.
0: Yeah. yeah. Nice. Um, yeah, I actually quite like that song. I thought okay. it was quite good. Again, like I say, like I broke it up and it was quite nicely Overall, free. I would, I mean, you gave Steggall eight. Um, I would give this a seven and I think it would be, I think it would be quite, it would be quite, if we added on a couple, maybe we added on Rosa Lee and, um, don't, don't, uh, sorry, Jesse Lee. Don't, Jessie don't. Lee. Oh yeah. Don't I'm never going to get
1: in contact with her again. If you keep call if you call her Rosalie. Jesse Lee. Lee.
0: Jesse Lee yeah <laughs> Rose, <laughs> Rosie Lee so that's um, she's a fucking chef in the 80s uh Down and Jesse Lee you add that onto this EP and I think actually it's a very very good a very good EP wow I think that would have made it funny. more dy- would have made it more dynamic yeah and um and just giving it a little bit like it it is quite a I like it's quite an emotionally difficult thing to go through. Some of it, do you know what I mean? It's only At fifteen some point. it's only fifteen minutes long. No, oh, but <laughs> it's 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 you know, you really fucking you're not you're not fucking around. You I'm just not get, fucking it, it around gets, No, it gets in there and it's like oh like there's a <laughs> I don't know what that was. But do you know what I mean? Like it is it is it's um I was gonna say it's bleak. I don't think it is I don't think it's bleak, I think it's just it's deep. It's very, very yeah, deep yeah. all the way through. Yeah. It kind of it it's very serious. Yeah um so you know i think maybe i slight
1: i absolutely agree with you and whilst the execution of that was not always great because you know this is my first time writing songs by myself i wrote songs with bands and stuff but you know this is the first time ever that i wrote songs entirely by myself because the whilst the execution isn't great i have to admit looking back on it now i am massively proud of myself that i i properly fucking went for it i mean that's something that you could not accuse me of uh not doing like in terms of like going for the whole right well write lyrics which are really fucking personal to you and don't mm. always paint you in a great light and and um are very n- naked and bear your soul um you know i undoubtedly did that it was not very um um sophisticated sometimes i don't know it wasn't it wasn't pulled off very well sometimes but at least i sort of had the chutzpah to do it and and i feel like that's something that we would commend bands for now yeah you know, we're not talking yeah, about definitely. we're not talking about caligula here uh because i never had anything as awful happen to me as as, as 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 that um but 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 it's you know but it is very very open and very 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 honest um sometimes to the detriment of my character
0: Yeah, I mean, I have to say, in comparison between our two things that we've spoken about, Uh, I mean, I have everything gets put in Steggall behind a big wall of noise and a big wall of like a bravada, and it's all like, and that thing you said earlier is is true. Like, you know, I've never had to justify my lyrics or, mm -hmm. you know, justify um, uh, the things I say, or like have to listen back to it and go. People are going to go, what were you talking about? Like, no one's ever asked me. That. I mean, the, the, me sort of explaining the last song on the record is the first time I've ever, ever, ever been asked that mm-hmm. and ever, ever had to explain it. Mm. Because in hardcore and in metal and stuff, you can just make lots of noise and people go, well, that sounds cool, mm. like yeah. whatever. Yeah. Whereas, you know, you <laughs> you can't, it, it, it's so bare and so raw, it's inescapable. And I do admire that as a... Um, as a thing because you know i was almost too scared to even not too scared but i didn't feel comfortable writing lyrics half the time mm-hmm. Well, thank so, you, very you know much. yeah yeah so there you go um we've covered both of our bands now we can't ever do that again <laughs> what a shame um <laughs> although i must say every... it is
1: it is coming up to the 10th anniversary of my uh, ep so um maybe i'll re-release it with those extra tracks <laughs>
0: Yes, you should re-release it, and then we'll do the 20th anniversary of Anger <laughs> of next year. <laughs> yeah, Remember, we do like a, let's, let's do a listening party. When COVID's over, we should do a double listening party <laughs> and sell tickets, do like a live show. Yeah. Well, incidentally, um, I do that's have about... a terrible idea.
1: I do have about 600 copies left on CD, and I am willing to... Um, <laughs> part with them for no money whatsoever so <laughs> if, you, if you actually there want you a go. copy of this on cd just send send me a message and i'll just send me your address and i'll send it to you because i actually do want to get rid of them so yeah
0: <laughs> whereas if you want steger well, you got to pay 99, 99 quid <laughs> <laughs> who's who's the punk out of the two of us hey eh? eh? hey <laughs> yeah it's true <laughs> it, is, it is absolutely absolutely true Fucking sellout. I like the like There's one left, like that Wu Tang Clan album that fucking. <laughs> yeah, um, the gold one. <laughs> that, like, yeah. Who bought that in there? Uh, like a total. Martin Shkreli. Closet. Yeah, yeah that fucking asshole yeah. guy did. Yeah, Martin yeah. Shkreli. He is that's a Shkreli. Shkreli little <laughs> idiot. Um. All right, good. Well, listen, hey, thanks very much for listening. That's basically it for our birthday celebrations. Mm. We've given you one, two, three four five six six podcasts in a week yeah i think so something crazy like that yeah,
1: yeah yeah and that's
0: and and or seven as well seven in six days
1: yeah yeah in fact it no that's not
0: even true is it like is it five six yeah no it is right seven six <laughs> days yeah
1: might cut the mass at the end
0: <laughs> but that's funny yeah, yeah sorry yeah, lovely. that was shit <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> seven <laughs> podcasts in <laughs> six days um they said it couldn't be done Whose stupid when I say idea they. was
1: that? That was my idea, I think. It,
0: I think. Was, it was yours, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah they yeah. said it couldn't Not be really done yeah. and it couldn't really be done. Uh, <laughs> it's been a pain in the arse. <laughs> <It's really laughs> <hard>. But anyway, <laughs> go idea. to our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash right podcast and give us money, scum. Unless you have already done that, in which case, cheers. <laughs> we'll see you again soon on here. That's it. That's all you're getting. See you later. Say bye, Renfrey.
1: Bye, Renfrey.